a couple of days after that, um, they said, you know what, um, it's, it's heat cases. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen again. It's a matter of when it's going to happen again. And we can't have that in the Marine Corps. So um, you are no longer fit for service in the Marine Corps. And that's it. Permanently kicked out of the Marine Corps. And that was earth shattering for me. I mean, I was, I couldn't tell you how devastated I was because I, I'd given up everything to do this. And I had envisioned, envisioned a very long career in the Marine Corps. Um, and that didn't happen. So, so now I'm like, what do I do with my life? You know, I went back home. I just remember, um, I was applying to a lot of jobs at the time and I applied to the FBI as well. Um, but we were in the federal building and as I walked through the security gate, the security guard, he looked at my Marine Corps CAC and he handed it back to me and he said, Semper Fi. As I took that card, I, it felt like someone punched me in the gut and I smiled at him and I kept walking. But as soon as I got around the corner and there was nobody there, I literally dropped to the floor and tears welled up in my eyes. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also going to have guests who are going to talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. In this episode, I got the opportunity to sit and talk with Julia Ling. She's got quite the interesting life story, but I'm going to try to keep this intro short. Her parents came to the United States to escape Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia. From a young age, she knew she wanted to join the military, but also knew there was no way her parents would support that. After high school, she enrolled in college to be an engineer, but then a friend asked her to accompany her to an acting audition. Julie ended up with the job, which led to multiple roles, including a multiple season run on the show Chuck as the character Anna Wu. Oh yeah, and an extended break from college. All of which were, let's just say, her parents were less than ecstatic. But in 2014, after going back and completing her college degree, Julia joined the Marine Corps and entered OCS. Unfortunately, a medical situation, which I'll let her explain, forced her out. Today, she's the partner in Veteran Powered Films, a film production company specifically intent on making movies by military veterans and first responders. Their first movie, Tango Down, which Julia also acted in, was released in 2019. I'm going to go ahead and let Julia tell you the rest. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 53. Let's get more into you then. So tell me where you grew up. Where's hometown for you? Um, I was actually born and raised in Southern California. Um, My parents were rescued by Americans and brought to the United States. So I'm kind of like a, what do you call it? First generation. Okay. Rescued from where? Uh, Cambodia. They were actually slaves in a in a genocide in a war. Um, they yeah, my mom was a slave for five years and um, lost her entire family. She had like twenty three people in her family, um, brothers, sisters, mom and dad. Like they all perished in that genocide. It was pretty hard to. It was pretty hard for her. 
How was it looking back on it? How did they handle the transition coming to the States and, and assimilating here? Did, did they, for no other term, do they carry a lot of baggage with it? Or did they, from you your know, perspective, kind of seem to move on from it? Yeah, it's it's really interesting um, to see humans um, when they go through the worst, um, the hardest. That's when you see either the best or the worst come out of mankind. And um, actually went to Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles. And there was like a section dedicated to the Khmer Rouge genocide. And they were actively looking for survivors of this genocide to come and tell their story. And um, since I'm a filmmaker, I thought, you know, and also my mom's friends are all survivors from the genocide. So I decided, well, why don't I start interviewing all of them? So we started interviewing them on camera. And every single person told me stories so horrific like they just all started bawling and and unbelievable stories of people digging up dead bodies to eat because they were so hungry kidnapping babies to cook because they were so hungry you saw some of the worst in in humanity where they were hurting each other just to survive but from stories that I've heard from my family, um, my mom has always, they've always been such a loving, giving family that they literally would save up what little food they had, all the siblings, put it together and give it to their parents. So give it to my grandparents. And that's because um, they were brought up to respect the elders, love each other. And and it, I think it was because of that, that, you know, most people, they did, they all starved to death. And so there was this love that it was, it was never lost, which I found really interesting because when she came over, yes, she had a lot of pain and a lot of PTSD. You know, oftentimes I watch her, you know, drop to the ground, crying in pain. Sometimes she woke up from nightmares, but she was still like just such a loving, giving person. And to me, I I just can't fathom, like, how would you go through something crazy like that? You know, bury your own mother with your own bare hands when you're 16 years old and still come out and be the most giving person in the world. I don't know. And my mom was kept like, just to give you an idea, like she went to the pet store and she saw all these birds and she's like, oh my gosh, they're in cages. I'm going to take them all in. And then she set them free. And I'm like, mom, you're not supposed to do that, right? They've grown up in cages their entire lives. They're, they're not going to survive. And she's like, it's okay, you know, but now they're free. And if they can survive or not, like it's, it's up to them now, their destiny, their fate, but at least they're free now. It almost sounds like she experienced the absolute worst in humanity to the point that it made her say, there's no way that I could ever be that bad. So all I could do is only be better. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Now, did your mom and dad come were they rescued as a husband and wife or did they meet once they got here? Um, they actually sort of, yeah, they actually sort of, um, got married during the rescue. <laughs> so, um, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just lost my family. How about you? I just lost mine. Let's start a new one. But I mean, that's in short how it happened. Um, after the five years of slavery, they became refugees at the refugee camp. They met there. Um, I just remember my dad telling me the the French planes came and all these other countries came and my dad was like, no, 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 I'm waiting for America because <laughs> that is the land of opportunity. <laughs> I got my ticket. I'm on that. I'm on that plane. Yeah. <laughs> so what did your parents do for work when they got here? My dad picked strawberries, delivered pizza, 
and my mom sewed clothes. She was a seamstress. She actually made less than minimum wage. And I had no idea how they were able to do all that they did and still have us. It was just like, it was insane. But, um, yeah, part-time jobs here and there just worked really hard, saved up $2,000. And we actually lived in somebody's garage when we were little, it was very difficult. We had, you know, no toys or anything. But I mean, that was that was life to us. That was home. Right. Um, and he saved up two thousand dollars and then started a business. And so you mentioned us, brothers and sisters, a big family. Uh, no, just uh, my big brother and myself, and then mom and dad. And mom and dad, you know, they they have a lot of pain, um, residual like issues, physical pain, physical pain, um, emotional as well, from um, from that genocide. So growing up, I kind of had to, you know, become an adult pretty early on and take care of my mom and dad. So then the, the impact on you as a young child growing up, what was your life like? Were you heavily into academics? Did you get involved in any extracurricular activities? What was life like for you? Yeah, it was very difficult as a child because I because Santa never came to my house. I like I always thought Santa was racist. There's no chimney in a garage. No, there's no <laughs> chimney in a garage, and I thought Santa hated Asian-looking people. Um, but that's not true. You know, we just didn't have money. We didn't have family. We didn't have anything. And so, growing up, I remember watching my mom this very distinctly one day in the kitchen. She was cooking and suddenly she dropped the pot and she crouched down to the floor and she started crying. And I was like, mommy, mommy, what's wrong? And she said, it hurts. My, you know, she was beaten. Um, basically, she went to um, the river and she saw some clams and she's like, oh, I can bring this back for my mom. My mom is hungry and sick. So she collected some, she put it in a little bag and on her way back, they caught her. And they took that bag of clams and smashed her in the head. And she went unconscious and they did whatever they did with her. Um, but she woke up with like spinal distortion, um, a lot of pain all over. And um, I just remember in that moment, I think I was five or six years old. And I said, mommy, I don't want you to hurt anymore. You know, you can, and she worked so hard and she gave us everything. She let me go study Chinese and dancing and music and anything I wanted to learn. She gave me the money and she would rather starve herself so that I can take lessons. And I'm just like in tears <laughs> saying this right now. It was so sweet. But I was like, mommy, I'm going to work very hard so that you don't have to go through this pain anymore. And so that was what motivated me to to, you're right. Like I did a lot of, you know, academics, took up a lot of extracurricular, worked my butt off in school, thought that I could just, you know, get straight A pluses <laughs> and then get rich. But that's not how life works. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into the academics because there's definitely something I want to talk about. But you got into art or what was the draw no pun intended. What was the draw to <laughs> art for you? It's a great pun. Um, I actually did everything. I started dancing when I was three. Um, I started studying piano when I was seven or whatever. Um, but I also did academic decathlon. I did um, engineering. I did architecture, bridge building. I just learned everything that I could. Um, and it was just a fluke, honestly. Like a friend 
um, asked me to go, like high school girls can't even use the restroom alone. So like, do this with me. This fashion show is so cool. And I'm like, okay, I'll join you. So I went and I did the show with her for fun. And in the audience, there were three agents that were like, oh, we really like you. We want to sign you. So I'm like, uh, okay, I was going to go do biomedical engineering, but sure, that sounds really fun. So while I was in college, I actually kept booking a lot of jobs. Um, I, my first one was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then I did Disney and stuff. And so it actually worked out really nicely, like just the way, you know, I didn't plan to go into the arts. And what I was actually referring to, though, is did did you not have some artwork that was showcased when you were very young? Oh, well, yeah. Artwork. Yeah. What, that's where I was kind of going with that question. Where did that come from? Was was anybody in your family artistic in the sense of drawing or painting or anything like that? Or did it just come natural to you? Um, you know, I think that when you, when you have a difficult life, you know, you try to find things that make you happy. And when I was a child, drawing, painting, those kinds of things made me happy. Um, yeah, my mom allowed me to take like a few art classes, but it wasn't so much that it was more that on my own time, it's like dancing or singing, you know, it just made me so happy. And so, um, I continued doing art cause I loved it so much. Um, and so in high school I took this art class and it was really funny, um, the way it turned out. Um, so everyone's supposed to work on one masterpiece project just so that they can submit by the end of the quarter for a contest. Um, and I just happened to work very quickly. So, um, I finished my oil painting like the first week and the, the teacher was like, you're, you're done already. Um, well, let's try this oil painting on a dark canvas. And I'm like, okay. And then I finished it in a few days and she's like, really? Like everyone else is still working on the first project. So she's like, well, why don't you try, you know, doing a sculpture of a, a clay horse, horse's head. And then I finished that. And then I did, um, the fastest ones were the pencil sketching that those were, um, came more naturally to me. Um, and then the hardest one was the dot, dot, um, with, ink and I have to show you that one that one is the absolute like masterpiece that I've ever done but but anyway by the end of that my teacher actually submitted me to every single category the sculpture the <laughs> ink the, the oil painting and everything and and it actually did it actually did pretty good <laughs> was all of this self-motivated or what I don't want to say were your parents pressuring you, but were were your parents driving this or basically just allowing you to experience whatever you had an interest in? No, you were spot on. I, I think my, um, I think it is motivated by my parents, but not pressured by them. It's more just internally, like it, it broke my heart to see them hurting. And so I just wanted to do something, you know, to give back to them. And so, for instance, one of my oil paintings is a lake with a deer, and it's just so peaceful. It's a really beautiful, happy scene. And I wanted to give that painting to my mom because she cried a lot, and I wanted her to be happy. Well, um, you're going to make me cry at some point in time there during this. So... In high school, what were you thinking was going to be your adult life? I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> now, where did that come from? I always wanted to help people. Um, I actually loved animals and I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was growing up. But 
Um, I'm allergic to animals, so <laughs> that won't work. Um, so actually, in, in high school, my counselor nominated me for this thing called the National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine, where high school kids from all around the country went to UCLA and did this in-depth study. We studied cadavers. We literally got to work with cadavers, scrub down and witness surgery. We talked a lot about ethics, that kind of thing. Um, and it really inspired me to become a surgeon and I learned a lot. So, um, so when I first went to college, I was like, um, okay, I want to pick a major that's going to allow me to go to med school. So, um, I ended up landing into biomedical chemical engineering because UCLA, that was one of two, um, good majors I thought at the time to go into med school. Um, but that was what I wanted to do in neurosurgery and then, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer happens. <laughs> Don't jump ahead too quickly. What did your brother end up doing? Um, my brother really struggled a lot. You know, I think whereas like I channeled everything into love and my visions um, through art, my brother internalized it and he played a lot of video games. He shut down. He got to a very dark place. Um, and I'm very happy for him. He's found the church and he's, you know, surrounded by people that, that he loves, that loves him, um, and God. And, um, and now he's a teacher. Oh, okay. So when you were, well, let's hit on this real quick. Cause I'm going to make everybody envious of you. You kind of ruined your SATs, right? <laughs> I did not get entirely perfect scores. I did get perfect scores in writing and English. Um, did pretty okay on the SAT ones, but um, someone else beat me. So they ended up getting valedictorian and I was number two in my class. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're, you're remembering that at all. <laughs> but when you were anticipating going on to college, was there ever discussions with your parents about how to afford it? And, or did they ever put any type of limitations on you about not going to college? No, they were willing to do everything it took, like, you know, give their very last ounce of breath to try to put me through college. So you've mentioned that you, you got kind of drawn into acting by accident. Friend asked you at school, Hey, come do this with me. And then some agents saw you, but I want to kind of veer off a little bit. You had a desire from a very young age, though, to go into the military. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, absolutely. Did you ever actively look at that path while you were in high school? Or was it always kind of something you thought you might want to do later? No, I always wanted to do it. In fact, since I was six years old, I looked up to Marines. I just, you know, thought they were so cool and so badass. And I really wanted to do that. Um, the the problem, the hindrance, the hindrance for me came in that my parents have nobody else in their life. And I am the only family that they you know, really can turn to for help when they have paperwork they don't understand when they need to go to the doctor when they need to make appointments pretty much everything because they don't really understand English too well so I couldn't abandon them I didn't have it in my heart to leave them and not only that but till this day my parents still don't know that I've ever joined the military and the reason is because they're so scared and hurt their experiences, when they think of the military, they think of eight-year-old children holding rifles, killing their family. And they see death and they see blood. 
and they remember the loved ones that they lost in a very, very terrible way. So I don't, I don't think I can ever convince them that military isn't always about, yeah, you're in the business of killing, but it's not what you think it is. So, you know, to prevent them from freaking out, I actually never told them. And you, you ultimately did cross that bridge and and join the Marine Corps and we'll get there, but let's take the, the, the short path. So coming out of high school, did you get into college or did you go straight into acting? I went into college and then um, when all these acting acting opportunities came up, it was just way too difficult to do engineering and that at the same time because engineering is hard. So um, I took a break for a few years um, to go do acting and to see how that works because everyone says acting is a young people's career. Um, and it worked out great. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was very hard work, of course. Um, but uh I did that for quite some time, and then I decided to go back and um, finish my degree so that I could do um, the commissioning route in the military. So that was kind of your game plan of, let me get my bachelor's degree, and then I'll go the officer route. Yes, I always wanted to do that. Doing, getting initially involved in acting, were your parents supportive, the fact that you were taking a break or time off from college? No, <laughs> not at all. They were tiger parents all the way. They were so worried about me. They're like, you're going to go do drugs. No good. <laughs> so you ended up being in the acting field for how long till you went back to school? Oh, geez. I don't know. Many years. <laughs> I lost count. <laughs> but when it, when I finally realized, you know, I, I really want to commission as an officer and there's an age cutoff in the military for an officer, I'm like, all right, I need to do this now or never. <laughs> so I'm like, let's go do it. <laughs> so then let's go down that route. Was there a, was there a single catalyst event that finally made you say, you know what, I'm going to step away from acting. I'm going to go get my degree and I'm going down the military route. Uh, no, literally just, um, I'm like, I wanted to do this my whole life. And if I don't do this for myself now, I will have lived my whole life trying to please my parents. And I wanted to do this for myself. So what year did you go in the Marine Corps? 2014. And did you go the commission route to initially? Yes, the Marine Corps OCS. And that was Tremendous. That was really difficult for me. <laughs> what was that process like getting into it? Was it fairly easy or kind of it, difficult? It's really competitive. I was a ballerina. I was like really That's number skinny. one on the list for Marine Corps, ballerina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, evidently. I walked into the recruiting office and talked to the captain and he, you know, interviewed me for like an hour and then I came out and he's like, all right, I'm going to sign you and start your package. And the gunny just looked at him and pointed at me and she's like, her, really? <laughs> Did you look at her? <laughs> I was just- The M16 weighs more than she does. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was tiny. Um, it was hard, man. Cause I was, I started at 105 pounds. Um, I had to put on like 20 pounds of, of muscle. Um, and by the end of tra- I, I worked my, my butt off. You know, I, I trained twice a day, every day, seven days a week cross-training, all kinds of things. And um, by the end of the year, so when I first started, I couldn't even hold my flex arm hang on the bar for like one second with assistance. (laughs) And by the end of it, I was doing like five, six pull-ups by by the end of that year. And I just kept pushing. And they also had a a huge binder full of stuff. They call it the knowledge. And you just had to study. And I memorized everything on there. I'm sure you would have killed the academic portion of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so when you made that decision to go in, I know you said that you didn't tell your parents. Was that a struggle to make that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think every child always wants their parents to be proud of them and love them. But I think I've always struggled with that because my parents, my father was never really there. Um, not because he didn't love me, but because he was always working. <laughs> so I didn't talk to him until I was 21. And then my mom was super scared because of her experiences. She's scared of everything. So um, I ultimately told her, Mom, I'm going to the East Coast to study on computers. <laughs> A euphemism, Mom. <laughs> yes. And I was crawling under barbed wire with my rifle and going through mud. <laughs> so did you go to boot camp Paris Island? Uh, no, it was actually Quantico. Marine Corps OCS oh. is in Quantico in Virginia. Oh, okay. That's right. Mm -hmm. You went the officer route. My mistake. Yeah. couple years in, you developed a medical condition. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was one of the hardest weeks of my life, honestly. Um, it was in the middle of summer and we had a physical training event and my body temperature got to be like 105.6 something degrees. It was pretty high. Um, and my vision was blurry and I just remembered in my mind, it's like, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going until the finish line. And I was stumbling and I'm like, but I was like tunnel vision. I'm going to make it all the way. I'm not going to quit. Um, as soon as I made it to the finish line, some guy, I don't even know who he's like, her, take her, take her. And all of a sudden like eight people or something like picked me up, threw me in a, a stretcher and they threw me in this ice tub and then started like poking me with needles. And it was, and they started like dumping ice all over and like body temperature, one old six or whatever and then continue with active cooling and I, I just remember saying sir sir I please I'm fine let me get back to my platoon I'm fine you know I'm okay and then they're like body temperature 104 point whatever continue with active cooling so they kept on doing that and then actually over cold me <laughs> I was like I'm sorry I'm cold I'm cold I'm sorry to leave. but they had you know with the silver bullet and they stick it up your butt <laughs> and that's what they were going off of but I was feeling cold and they actually ended up um overcooling me to 93 degrees and then I went into a state of hyperthermia <laughs> and then my teeth are like chattering like that um then they put this giant thing that they called the bear hug on you and it's just this big warm thing that fluffs up <laughs> and you just fall asleep woke up with the worst headache ever um but you know a couple of days after that um they said you know what um it's it's Heat cases, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen again. It's a matter of when it's going to happen again. And we can't have that in the Marine Corps. So um, you are no longer fit for service in the Marine Corps. And that's it. Permanently kicked out of the Marine Corps. And that was earth shattering for me. I mean, I was, I couldn't tell you how devastated I was because I, I'd given up everything to do this and I had envisioned, envisioned a very long career in the Marine Corps. Um, and that didn't happen. So, so now I'm like, what do I do with my life? You know, I went back home. I just remember, um, I was applying to a lot of jobs at the time and I applied to the FBI as well. Um, but we were in the federal building and as I walked through the security gate, the security guard, he looked at my Marine Corps CAC and he handed it back to me and he said, Semper Fi. As I took that card, I, it felt like 
someone punched me in the gut and I smiled at him and I kept walking. But as soon as I got around the corner and there was nobody there, I literally dropped to the floor and tears welled up in my eyes. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm literally going to a job interview upstairs and I can't get my shit together. I can't, I can't hold it together. Like what, what is going on? And then the same thing happened again, like a few weeks, I knew a few days later at the grocery store, pushing the shopping cart. And suddenly, you know, I'm thinking of what happened at Quantico and I just can't breathe. Going down a, a different path. Did you ever go talk to anybody professionally about that? Um, I actually talked to a lot of, I call them my brothers and sisters in the military. And it's actually quite common, I guess, when people get injured or, because when you're in, you're surrounded by your team, your platoon, your squad, you know, your, your, your people and, and you finish together as a unit, you're strong together and you don't leave anybody behind. You help each other get through it. And all of a sudden, and you feel invincible and then all of a sudden you're not part of that anymore. And all I could think about was all of my friends continuing on with their journey and I felt left behind and here I am damaged, broken. I'm, you know, and evidently a lot of people go through that. And that was actually when I learned for the first time that 22, that was the number, the 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And I know that number has changed, but that was when I first learned that there's so many people that commit suicide and a huge reason is because of that because they used to be part of something that they felt so good and they were so strong and and now either they got blown up or they something happened some medical dropout or whatever whatever the reason and now they're just back home broken and, and alone and that that was how i felt um, but talking to a lot of my brothers and sisters in the military, like it, it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And that was when I realized, you know, I think we can help each other. And so I started thinking about my past, what I know. And I'm like, you know, why don't we, why don't we start making movies and let's help each other. Let's start casting and hiring veterans and first responders in films. And let's try to inspire each other in the arts and set up our film set like, you know, run it like with a, a chain of command and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and we will get there just real quick. Had you ever experienced any type of medical issue like that previously in your past? Because you talked about being a ballet dancer. I know at some point in time you got into martial arts you've you've taxed your body before that had you ever experienced anything similar it's not the same sure i've broken my elbow and you know all these things and and got injured um in dance and whatever but they healed and i could just get up and try again but here i was i poured my heart and soul and everything i had into the marine corps and no matter what i say or how i beg they're never going to take me back because of this incident. So it's like the first time in my life where I felt like I failed at something and I couldn't finish what I started. I couldn't just go back. And um, I later learned that that's kind of true, but it's also not. 
like my gunnery sergeant, she saw how hard I worked and she recommended me for, you know, the, for the Navy and for, um, for the FBI. And she was the one that said, look, there are other doors open to you. You can't have such a narrow vision. There's more things you can do. Do you think if you, looking back on hindsight, could you have fought it to stay in or was the Marine Corps done? They'd shut that door and there was no other options. Yeah. I mean, with my age, but the heat case, the heat case, there was a guy that total PT stud, one of my good buddies back then, um, ran perfect three hundreds and similar thing. He had a heat case and they just would not let him continue. So before we go into your now job of Hollywood and production and, and hiring veterans, and I want to definitely get into that. You mentioned the Navy. So you ultimately made the transition. You're now in the Naval Reserves and and still looking at finishing out your career doing that while you're balancing doing the Hollywood production aspect. So when you made the decision to go back to Hollywood, was it to be an actor or did you want to go into the production side of the house? I absolutely wanted to do production because there's so much more freedom to create to write your own stories, you know, I love performing and I'm still acting and performing, but as a producer and a filmmaker, you can really tell the authentic stories and um, really kind of control the, you know, not control, but really guide the story in the way that you want it to. Was your plan at that time to also incorporate military as much as possible? So that, that was your initial goal. For somebody who's interested in getting into that, what did now you have obviously had a background coming, having previously been an actress, what was it for you to get into the production side? Did it require you to go back to any type of schooling or did you just show up one day in Hollywood and go, I'm a producer? Um, you know, it's always like many, many years in the making. And so as an actress, I actually uh, took the opportunity to observe and shadow the directors. Um, at the time, I did also go to UCLA and studied film producing. So so I already kind of had that background. I started my film production company pretty, pretty early on, like way before um, military and all that stuff. And I always wanted to create movies that would make people feel good. And the reason was because I remember very distinctly one night talking to my dad at the dinner table and he showed me these videos and he said, look, you never want to help people because look in China, you help this person. And then they said that, you know, um, you push their child or like, you know, basically a bunch of videos of very negative things happening. And then I showed my dad a different montage and I said, dad, look, this guy did not hesitate to jump into that subway track to rescue this person. And it was just a bunch of videos of kindness and goodness. And I realized then some videos promote paranoia and fear and anger and some videos promote love. And like, I, I was like, I want to make the kind of movies where, you know, the wives are going to run home to the husbands and be like, husband, I love you. I'm so sorry for being mad at you. You know, just things that make the world a little bit better. You know, I don't know what better means, but I wanted to try. So were you then getting into that aspect, that job of, of what's, what's it like? I mean, how does somebody cross that bridge and become a producer? It's a lot of hard work, you know, as producer, you always think about um, the kinds of stories you want to tell, 
Um, it's kind of like being a good officer in the military. You, If you come from the enlisted side or you've done the technical stuff, then as a leader, you'll be able to guide people and understand the actual um, ins and outs of everything. So it's the same thing as a producer. Um, you have to understand a little bit about editing and what the editor needs. You have to understand, you know, the sound, the, all these, it's, every single department, how to put it together. You're essentially like a project manager and you have this vision and you think about, okay, what is going to make it sell? And then you think about the marketing aspect. How are you going to sell this product? And now you want to carry your creative vision from concept all the way to finish. And so it's, it's actually um, a very entrepreneurial. Was your first movie your own idea or did you take on somebody else's idea? I've actually done a lot of um, assistant producing on shows, like like on Amazon shows and things like that. So they were definitely not my idea. I was just hired to be like somebody's <laughs> assistant. Um, and then I, for my own company, we did a lot of... Um, like microbiome was one project we did, which was uh, producing videos to help promote uh, medical research for the scientists, the physician scientists at University of Illinois. And um, we helped further medical research. We did videos to help promote Caltech's um, scientific things. So we did a lot of commercial, industrial, educational type of things. Um, and then with the veteran initiative, the very, very first project we did um, was kind of a kind of a test in that like I wanted to see if it was possible to bring together a bunch of veterans and let them tell their story write their own scripts and we essentially assist them in producing it um, and it turned out great I mean you know there are things that I might have changed here and there as a marketing person but it's their first film together. They had a great time. It, it's called Tango Down, um, and it's on Sophie. But um, I thought I thought everyone did great. And for something like that, well, let me go backwards a little bit. If somebody has an interest in getting into the movie production side of the house, they're they're a veteran, current military person who's thinking about doing this. Is going to school mandatory or can you basically learn on the job? Yeah, I mean, if you're a veteran and you have the GI Bill, I like, why not go go to film school? Um, you can learn on the job, but it's always great to have like that, especially if you want to do cinematography or very technical stuff. Um, but there's a ton of different kinds of schools and then networking is really important. Uh, veterans in Media and Entertainment, VME, is uh, a pretty fantastic uh, group of veterans that we get together and and, um, you know, share information. There are tons of veteran resources out there. Um, you can also become a veteran on set as an extra. Um, I met a lot of veterans doing the tactical um, background work. They actually pay really well, too. Um, but so I did that for fun and I got to meet so many veterans. We just sit around on set. And then when we're filming, this is for the movie Tenet, got to play, you know, tactical stuff like we're shooting us and it's really fun it's like you know being back in the field um and a lot of veterans um you know for them that's home um so when you're on set as an extra you can observe don't if you're an, uh, if you're an extra don't try to network with the crew <laughs> who are trying to do their job because that's just going to annoy them <laughs> but definitely go learn the jargon watch how things are done you know i wouldn't if you want to be an actor i wouldn't 
do extras work because then people remember you as an extra. Um, oh. But I do recommend doing extras work at least, you know, a few times if you're just starting out, you know, don't go around telling you, hey, I'm an actor. And they're like, oh, what role do you play? And you're like, oh, I'm just background. In that movie, today. I was the third guy in the back row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my eyeball right there. So if somebody wants to go down the acting path, you recommend being an extra, but just for a limited amount of time. And then what would you recommend? Yeah, that's one, one thing to do. Um, study a lot, you know, actors just, you have to understand life and being a good actor is being a good character and being a good character is being able to channel reality into this character. And how are you supposed to play like, you know, a ditzy surfer if you've never experienced that or whatever. (laughs) So, um, experience life as much as possible. Um, practice, pick up scripts and just practice, take as many classes as you can. Keep on practicing, put yourself on camera, watch yourself, see what works, what doesn't. And you know, get to a place where you feel like you can be competitive. And if you're not, then don't go to a casting director yet because casting directors, they remember, you know, they remember bad auditions and they, they don't bring you back. Now, along the same lines where you said, don't go deep into the extra work because then they're just going to remember you as an extra. Do you want to embrace your military past and bring that character aspect or do you not want to get pigeonholed? Absolutely get pigeonholed that. I mean, if you're just starting out, especially now, it's so much harder than it was when I first started. Um, when I first started, we, you know, breakdowns would come out and then whoever got the headshots into the agents got it into the casting director's office quickest or sold them the hardest. You know, we were all local and we would just go and compete locally. But now you're competing against everyone across the entire world. It's all virtual auditions. <laughs> so your competition is like now you're competing against, against like the best in every country. So, um, If you're really good at something and you have a technical skill, you've been a sniper, you know, you you, artillery, mortarment, it doesn't matter, right? Bring that and own it and be so unique. You you are the, the most wonderful thing that you have is yourself. You are so unique and there's nobody else like you. So bring that and really make that your brand. And once you get your first gig, second gig, you know, then you can start showing people, hey, look, I can do other stuff as well. You mentioned virtually, and immediately what came to mind is COVID. So did they, did Hollywood use virtual auditions and are they continuing with it or is it going back to in person or they, do you see it staying with the virtual? Yeah, virtually, I think it's kind of like everything. Um, It's very mixed now. So um, um, pretty much every audition I have now is virtual. How odd is that to do an audition virtually? Yeah, it's it's really icky. I don't like it because (laughs) because as an actor, you want to look at someone's eyes and react. Um, you know, you want to study their face. You, cause, cause in acting, it's like someone can say, I love you, but they're really saying, I hate you. I want to kill you, you know? <laughs> and, and you don't really get that without seeing their face. So it's very difficult, but virtually, um, auditions are still there. Um, in-person meetings are also still there. Um, there's a lot of new opportunities though. Now, virtually like 
uh, voiceover workshops. I just did one virtually. Um, I'm doing a lot more voiceover these days and that's all, you know, you need to have a home studio set up a good one, by the way, because I set up for a podcast and I lost a job for that. I got booked on a video game um, project and they had an engineer test with me and it wasn't performance quality. And so I lost that job. So if you want to be competitive, you need to get your studio set up properly. Just get it done right from the beginning. So it it always goes back to that. If you want to make money, you got to invest money. And so don't, you know, you can find doing a podcast. You can find a million articles that talk about do a podcast on your iPhone. But the thing is, is that if you're looking to make it a profession, put the money into do, you know, making it professional quality. As you mentioned previously about the veterans initiative, is that a program that you started or is that an actual independent entity? No, that's something that my, um, my producing partner and I started and worked so hard for. I mean, it was around June, I think, or yeah, when we came up with the idea and um, got a couple of Marine veterans to get together and we wrote every week together as a team virtually. We, we all just hopped on a, um, like Microsoft Teams or something like that. Um, but it was one of the hardest things I'd ever done because I... I don't know. I can't tell you how many all-nighters I pulled. <laughs> I was working 16 to 22 hours every day, seven days a week, six months straight. Um, starting something like that from scratch is hard because nobody's ever seen a bunch of veterans get together and make a successful thing before. It's brand new concept. So we kind of had to show them that we can do it. And giving you the opportunity now to kind of toot your own horn do you see the Veterans Initiative going forward? And what, what are you kind of seeing with that in the future? Um, we actually have some feature films that we're developing now. So we're very excited to try to launch our first commercial project. Um, my goals are purely to give back to all the veterans um, and especially all the people who supported us in the first project. Um, the goal is to hire and cast veterans. So we can't do that on charity projects. And the very first project was a Kickstarter, which was supported by friends and family and people actually from all around the world who donated to the project because they believed in the cause so much. And by the way, the concept actually worked because at the end of filming, uh, quite a few veterans came to me. One of them, he had tears in his eyes and he was like, Jules, this project saved my life. You've no idea. And there's this other guy completely quit alcohol, started working out, lost a hundred pounds. Wow. I mean, and he's still looking amazing. You know, there were like veterans that came to us that were like really depressed and they're like, wow, watching Rudy Reyes do kettlebells or whatever, like it kind of set off a light and inspired them. And, and they realized we can do, there's stuff you can do. Um, but it's always a challenge as well, because there were also veterans that while well, they came to set and they were super happy and excited. And then once filming was over, they went right back to their, you know, dark corners at home, even more depressed. And, um, I, started exploring like why did that happen like I felt like a failure and one of my friends uh, who is really good with you know understanding psychology he said 
Because when you're filming, it's like a high. People are very excited. And once that high is gone, then they sink even lower. Did you find that a lot of them may, or, or any of them came in with kind of these grandiose ideas of what they thought Hollywood was going to be like and it didn't meet their expectations? I think they all had those grandiose expectations, but they were all very excited. You know, we put up a red carpet for them and they're just like, oh, I want the red carpet. This is a movie that I produced or I wrote or whatever, you know. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, so that project was our Kickstarter. And so now we're trying to launch our first commercial projects. And so the goal is to be able to continue to create something that's sustaining. And how would a veteran find your company or know that you're looking to hire veterans? Um, so Veteran Power Films is the company we're on social media, but then if anybody wants to, you know, be a part of it, they can follow us. And basically like whenever I have casting notices or anything comes up, like anything at all, we share. And the beauty of film production is it's like a business in that there's so many ways to work together. So for example, um, this one veteran, he created leather holsters for a living and we produce films but we're just like hey we'll totally feature your holster and this guy's like whatever you know um some people who have chocolates are like okay we'll help you know how about we buy some chocolates you give us a discount we'll sell it we'll make money i mean it's like the possibilities are endless uh, whoever wants to work with us in any capacity whether they want to be hired acting behind the camera, you know, or business partners like that we can, it's, it's, there's a lot we can do. Now, are you going to keep acting or are you going to keep staying in the kind of the background? Cause I believe you acted in this movie also, correct? Yeah. I actually tried to fire myself a few times. <laughs> You're <laughs> was, a horrible actor. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, I'm trying to create this for the veterans. And like, there's so many people supporting, you know, our mission is to try to help stop suicide and our goals are to try to hire veterans. Like, I don't want to take the spotlight. And, but then the three guys that were writing, they're like, nope, there's nobody else to play this part. You're it, you're <laughs> it. There's nobody else. <laughs> so, I mean, you can ask. So it was kind of funny. And you got to showcase your martial arts skills. I, Is that something that you'd always been involved in as a, as even as a young child? Uh, actually, no, my mom didn't want me to do martial arts or play the violin. She thought that when your chin is like crooked like that on the violin, <laughs> you look like a boy. So in order to be a lady, you have to play the piano, which is what I did. Um, so I did not do martial arts until actually I was kidnapped when I was a very, very young actress um, in my teens in Los Angeles. Um, it was um, in broad daylight. And I was dressed for an audition, a modeling audition. I was just standing at the corner of the street waiting to cross the intersection and a vehicle pulled up and a couple guys pulled me in and there was a struggle and, you know, they, they tore off my shirt and whatever, whatever. Um, I managed to just randomly throw a punch, like throat punch him. It was just a fluke. It was an accident. I jumped out of the car, got pretty injured. Um, and that was when I realized, you know what? I'm going to learn how to shoot and punch throats. <laughs> and so you've basically been training since? Yeah, basically. Cool. Not cool the story, but cool that you're <laughs> training martial arts and you're actually able to showcase it in, in your acting. So long term for you, it is continuing to highlight 
veterans or the military in Hollywood something that's sustainable? Does Hollywood want the military, want veterans, or will you have to drive that train by yourself kind of deal? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I do know that when we were producing Tango Down, we did face tremendous challenges because the story that the veterans wanted to tell was not a story that the Hollywood, we were working with a couple of Hollywood producers at the time and they did not want to tell that story because they were like, oh, that's not going to sell or it doesn't make sense. But we wanted to stay authentic to, we wanted the Marines to tell their story. So there was this, it was very difficult because, you know, if I, if I tried to make a film that was, you know, the Hollywood way, then that's betraying the Marines. Um, so when we let the Marines tell their story, it was not popular. People didn't like it because it was so dark and whatever. So it was definitely challenging for us. But I think that there's so much talent in the veteran community. And I, I know, like, I absolutely know that we will be able to produce amazing, you know, motivating movies that will sell and do very well. For somebody who wants to get into the technical advising aspect, the, I, you know, they don't want to act, they just want to be an advisor. What's your advice? Because I've heard stories of, hey, we want to hire you because you're the man. You know, you've had the experience. And then when you give their your advice on what is would be realistic, they go, well, we're still going to do it this way. How do you how do you balance that? Or what advice would you give for balancing that? Wait, do you mean like for people who want, okay, ask your so, question again. So, I'm hired as a technical advisor. I say, hey, it should be A, B, C, and D. The producer, director, whatever goes, we appreciate your input, but we're going to do it E, F, G, H. Well, they have, producers and directors have. But does, I guess what I'm saying is, does that happen frequently? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I think that some of the most successful filmmakers, Clint Eastwood is a fine example, um, they really listen to their team because they know that the team, they are the experts and they're bringing something to the table. So for a director to be like, no, I'm just going to do it my way, you know, be kind of sometimes a little close minded um, that that director. I mean, I mean, it happens both ways, but, you know, I, some of the most successful films I see, they're they're very collaborative. So wrapping this up. What's the name of your company again? Veteran Powered Films. And website? VeteranPoweredFilms.com. <laughs> so We're somebody, also on Insta, Instagram, Facebook. And any last little pieces of advice for anybody who's transitioning out and interested in getting into Hollywood? I would say um, if it's your passion, you know, and I'm sure everyone says this and go after your, your dreams, but um, don't let all the naysayers get to you. Cause if you're a performer, people are going to say, Oh, you're too fat. You're too, whatever. You have a terrible voice. And you know, there's going to be a, a ton of critiques. Um, go ahead and listen to all of them. That's fine. You know, listen to them and figure out which ones you want to keep, but don't let it get to you personally because you have a vision. Just follow your vision. And if you keep on producing, creating what you envision, then pretty soon the world is going to see it also. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.